At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. And I'd like to invite you to the table of the Lord, a chance for us to gather together as brothers and sisters around the Lord's table and remember why we're here. We're here because of God's grace and his mercy, not because of the good things that you've done. You know, look around. There's probably somebody better than you here. Look around. There's probably somebody worse than you here. But none of us are in God's family because of how good or how evil we are, but it's because of how gracious God is to invite us. And he made a way for us to be part of his family by giving his one and only son. He gave his life on the cross, paying for all of our sin as he paid our sin debt, rose from the grave to prove the debt is paid in full, and simply, as we respond to faith, we, wel- we are welcomed into his family. And he's called us as a church to remember that often. And so we do this often. It's on the first Sunday of the month, sometimes a little more frequently. But it's often on that first Sunday of the month that we take time to do this. Um, in Paul's letter, he encouraged the church to celebrate the Lord's table as they worshiped him. And, and he said, do this until he returns. So I've kept my eye open, and he hasn't returned. So we're going to do it again today. But one day, he's going to come, and we'll be be gathered together, and we've celebrated the last couple weeks of that scene in heaven where we'll gather together from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the Lamb of God who is slain for our sin. And then the time of communion won't be needed anymore because we'll be with him and celebrating that redemption for all of eternity. So until then, we have these reminders, this time of celebration. I I grabbed these reminders on my way out the door this morning. I don't know if you've got any of these. Um, It seems like every day we get another one. These are graduation open houses, right? These are, these are kids that have gone through this incredible experience of high school, and they've reached that milestone, and, and now they want to celebrate. And so they send these out to you, because one of them was yesterday, actually. Um, there's one on the 24th. Um, there's one on the 24th. This one's on the 17th. This one's on August the 12th. How am I going to remember that? Well, we got these cards. And so maybe if we were a little more organized, we'd have this beautiful display somewhere on the wall. But actually what we do at the Stewart home, this kind of on the counter. And so we'll see them as we're getting supper or breakfast or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, this one's coming up. Oh, this one was yesterday. We can put that away. Well, that's what today is, this kind of your graduation open house announcement that's laying on your countertop to say, hey, it's coming. 
It's coming. We need to be there. We need to make sure you've responded to the invitation of God to be part of his family so you can be at the marriage supper of the Lamb where we celebrate the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. So here's how we're going to do that. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to participate. And I'm going to pray over these things. We've got broken pieces of matzah bread reminding us of the bread that Jesus broke for his disciples. And we've got in this uh, gold container here is little cups of, of juice reminding us of the cup of wine that Jesus gave to his followers. And we've got enough for everybody. There's the table in the back for people that are sitting towards the back, which is most of you today, it seems. Um, and I'm, so I'm going to pray over this and then just take some time for you if you want to just come right away and get your, uh, get your elements and take them back to your seat. If you want to pause a bit and just talk to Jesus, um, you could do that and then go get those elements. But there will be time for you to reflect and pause and talk to Jesus on your own. And then after everybody has it, I will lead us in a time of remembering him because we want to do that together today. Time where we together partake of the bread, together partake of the, of the juice. If you have any mobility issues, just wave your hand during our time in a minute and the, the team will bring you some. Um, we don't want to make it a, a, a difficult for anybody. But let's take time right now and thank God for this time. Let's remember what he's done for us. Father, you've delayed in your coming for another week. It's given more people opportunity to hear about you and to determine if they can trust your word, trust your message of salvation, and many have. And so, Lord, I thank you that the table's bigger today than it was last week. There's more places at the table. There's more children in your family. So thank you. Thank you for tearing your coming. But, Lord, oh, we look for the day when you do return. And you'll make all things right. Your blood is doing that work. Your, your, the shed blood of Jesus is continuing to, to, to flow into other lives and people and one day we'll celebrate you face to face. But right now, we want our hearts to be retuned, to be recalibrated. A time to recommit ourselves to you, Lord, through this time of celebration. So take this bread and this cup, simple elements, but may we remember your sacrifice for us. Bless your people as we celebrate you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Feel free. Uh, use the side aisles to come to the table and then use the center aisles to go back. That'll just make it easier for, for flow. But feel free to come and receive these elements.
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that eats of me will have life. And certainly, Jesus would say in the next statement, the words I'm speaking to you are spiritual words. He's illustrating to us that as bread gives us sustenance, so his presence in our life sustains us. But let's remember him as the bread of life, which is broken for us as his body was broken as he paid for our redemption. Let's remember Jesus together by eating the bread. Like life of the flesh is in the blood. It's a scientific lesson. It's a spiritual lesson. We know it's not the blood of sacrifices performed all throughout the Old Testament because they could never purchase or cleanse us from sin. But it's only the precious blood of Jesus that was shed that can cleanse us. So let's remember the blood of Jesus that purchased the new covenant. Let's remember him. Father, we're grateful for what you've done for us. We're thankful for what you are willing to give so that we could have life in you. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would now reflect that, that we would live as a message of gratitude as we've received the message of, or the, the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that we would be messengers of the message of reconciliation. Lord, may we be a gospel witness to all those we encounter. May our lives respond to your gospel in our life. We give you praise for all you've done. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Before we get into God's word, we'd just like to respond to his sacrifice in song. Empty-handed, but alive 
majesty to the king majesty majesty your grace has found me just as I am empty-handed but alive in your hands majesty presence forever changed because of what you did on the cross Lord thank you for the grace that you've supplied us freely given us it's all because of you we stand here today in your name we sing in your name we pray in your name we gather and hear from your word today speak to us Lord for worshiping with us today and let's continue let's continue to worship him as we study his word together right the study of his word is an act of worship also so revelation chapter 20 encourage you to turn there revelation 20 as i was studying the passage this week i was reminded of that very special week i spent this past january with 150 um what we call leaders in obscurity in the country of India. These were pastors and church leaders throughout that nation uh, that were not trying to raise any mega church or anything like that. They were just making disciples. Um, many of them had gathered with their, uh, their new believers in living rooms or uh, some had construction church buildings throughout the country but they were certainly content to be disciple-makers in obscurity. Well, another leader of Woodside and I traveled there um, to Chennai, and we spent five days teaching an overview of the New Testament. And We got to the book of 1 Peter, and if you know the book of 1 Peter, you know that it was a letter written by Peter to the persecuted church, the ones that had lost their homes, driven out of Jerusalem, and had been scattered throughout Asia Minor, um, and were living really literally in exile because of their faith. And it was a time to encourage them and to, to keep their focus on Jesus during that time. Anyway, as we're giving the overview of that, I asked the students there how many had suffered direct persecution uh, as, they, as they followed Jesus. And let me, let me ask this question to you. How many here have experienced what you would call direct persecution because you're a Christian? Can I see your hand? Okay, all right, maybe 10% of us, that's great. Well over 80% of the folks there in India quickly raised their hand to say, I experienced direct persecution. So I went further, I said, well, how many have had their property damaged or stolen because you're a Christian. And maybe three quarters of the room raised their hand 
and said that. Some had their houses burned. Um, some had things broken and stolen. Their houses broke into, ransacked, and such things. So I said, how many here have, had, have been physically beaten because of your faith in Jesus? Probably half the people raised their hand. People that had scars on their bodies because simply they were a Christian. I said, how many of you have been in prison because of following Jesus? And there was about 25% that raised their hand that have been in prison by local authorities because they're a Christian. And then I asked the question, how many are going to continue to teach people about Jesus? And they all started applauding and shouting, standing to their feet to say, that's not going to stop us. We lived through it. We'll do it again if we need to. That's not going to stop us. And it causes me to think, what would stop us from being known as a follower of Jesus? You know, because that's, that's not our norm to suffer that type of treatment because we're a follower of Jesus. But it is for a lot of Christians around the world. In fact, uh, there's an organization called Open Doors International. It's an organization that studies and documents persecution of Christians throughout the world. And they estimate that one in seven Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith. Which that means 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination. Let's say there's one billion people who believe Jesus throughout the world. One out of eight, let's say. That means that we are the minority, right? Those in our country that don't suffer, we've never been necessarily beaten or had our house ransacked or never been in prison, that we're the minority. And yet I wonder if the, the, the answers are the same for us. What would it take for us to stop living for Jesus? Right? Imagine waking up daily under the threat of direct hardship simply because you were your identity of being a follower of Jesus. What would keep you faithful to him? What would keep you committed to urging your family to be faithful to him? Knowing that in all likelihood, your kids would suffer a beating because they follow Jesus. Would you keep encouraging them to follow Jesus? What would be enough reason to tell people what Jesus had done for you, knowing that it may, very likely, result in your suffering? Well, we're studying this book of Revelation, written by John, as he was instructed to by the messengers of God that kind of accompanied him on this series of visions that he had, visions of, that tell us, give explanation of what things are actually happening and what things are going to happen. 
John is able to kind of see behind the veil as the Spirit of God enabled him to see, oh, this is what's actually happening. This is what we see right here. John was able to see past the physical and to see the spiritual realities that are happening and to see the things that will happen. And he was told to write these things down and then spread it to the churches in Asia Minor to send the letter to the various churches, churches that were dealing with cultural influence, churches that were experiencing spiritual opposition, intense persecution. And they were told by John's message that it was going to get worse. So his message was really to encourage them. Now you say, oh, that sounds encouraging. <laughs> it's going to get worse. Well, that's why John was able to see what would happen, what would ultimately come to pass when God makes all things new. Because the vision of that, the understanding of it, and the focus on what things will happen will be a significant aspect to Christians living faithfully. In fact, if you were to read the book of 1 Peter, you would see a lot of emphasis on the coming of Jesus, on the future. So believers are consistently inspired to live faithfully by giving a glimpse into what will one day happen. Sometimes we Americans struggle with that because, well, we want, to, we want it now. And if we have something now, then we can decide if we're going to do that certain thing. And maybe, maybe that's one of our problems, is that we become so focused on the temporary, forgetting that eternity lasts a lot longer than the temporary. Well, let's begin. We saw in chapter 19 that Jesus will return and will defeat his enemies, right? We looked at that chapter, saw two different feasts that were happening, but we see Jesus returning on a white horse, and his words were faithful and true, and with his words, the enemies, his enemies are defeated. In chapter 20, which is our focus today, we see another vision where John is able to see how Christ will reign in a millennial kingdom. That Christ will reign in a millennial kingdom. So let me, let me just talk about that word millennium. All right, some of you are familiar with it because you know of the millennium falcon. Right, so that's immediately what you think of. You think of this worn out space freighter that somehow stands through many battles and leads the, um, the rebels to, in their defense, right? As it takes Han Solo and Chewbacca all around, right? So that's what you think of. The millennium in this context has nothing to do with Star Wars, okay? So I won't even mention Star Wars, so it's not in your mind. Uh, the millennium means a thousand years, right? It's a uh, it's used five times in these six verses. That's what we're going to look at this morning, verse 1 through verse 6. It's used five times to describe this season where God will do some incredible, incredible things. We're not going to talk a lot today, or we're hardly mention when the millennial kingdom will happen, because there's various 
perspectives in the Christian faith. It's not necessarily a gospel issue on when you think this will happen. I personally believe that this will happen following the return of Jesus Christ. So he'll return and we'll set up a, a millennial kingdom. Some believe that it will culminate after a season where um, where the nations of the world have their eyes open to the things of Christ and, and millions and millions of people come to, to know Jesus and then the, the millennial kingdom will begin. So there is the amillennialist position and the postmillennial position. There's the premillennial position. God's going to work it out however he sees fit. All I know is the word consistently, not just here, but consistently throughout the New Testament describes Christ's return in, in establishing this kingdom. So I know it's going to, to happen. So let's talk about what will happen and why. First of all, as we look in verse 1, you'll see that one of the things that happens to begin this, year, this thousand years is that Satan will be bound. What a day that will be. Satan will be bound. Verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, Drew, threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. So the phrase, then I saw an angel, then I saw, is, is there several times you'll see that. In fact, if you were just to kind of leaf through your, your Bible, you would see that many of these recent chapters start with that phrase, then I saw, then I saw. It's an indication that there was another vision that John had. But it's a continuation, or it's in relationship to the previous visions and the visions that will come after this. Uh, to what John was able to see. It all displays this great defeat of God's enemy. And in this vision, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Now some think that this may be Jesus. The word angel it literally means messenger. So some of your Bibles may actually, depending on what version you have, may use the term messenger instead of angel. So maybe it was Jesus. They, they think that, one, because it, Jesus is the one, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says Jesus is the one that holds the keys to death and hell. So, may, so this must be Jesus coming with the keys. Um, others think that, well, this could be an angel because Jesus gave, gives the keys away. Right? He said that to the apostles in Matthew chapter, what is it, 19, 18, 16, after Peter says that, um, that uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus says, yes, and upon that rock I'll build my church. And then, then he says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus has given these keys away, but here the key enables Satan the dragon, that ancient serpent, the devil, to be bound and thrown into the pit. And this binding, it says, would keep 
him from deceiving the nations. Even it seems like even now there's a, there's a veil over the eyes and hearts of people. We believe so easily believe lies, don't we? And the nations of the world have come up with all kinds of things to worship. Uh, some nations and some places and some people have decided, no, you can't worship anything. It's just the material world. There's all types of deception uh, that are there. But in this kingdom, when, when the messenger comes, he will bind Satan and lock him up in this pit, and he can't deceive the nations any longer. It's describing... This chapter, as well as chapter 19, it's describing what some have called the defeat of the unholy trinity. Right in previous verses, uh, chapter 19, 18 and 19, we see uh, that the, the Babylon is destroyed. Babylon is used to often represent world systems and governments that, that blatantly oppose the things of God. So those world systems will be destroyed. Secondly, the false prophet is destroyed. Many times that's used to describe and represent false religions that push against the truths of Jesus. That will be destroyed, and they will be revealed as false. Here, the third person of the unholy trinity, Satan himself, will be bound and and kept from deceiving the nations. The ancient serpent is the description that harkens back to a, a Bible story way back in the beginning, right? What story do you think of when you think of an ancient serpent? Garden of Eden, right? Temptation, the, the serpent. Satan takes the form of a serpent and, and, and deceives Eve, and the fall happens. Right? It's the same person, the same being that has been seeking to deceive and destroy the image bearers of God. You know, he's, he knows he's no match to God himself. And so he goes after those, those creatures that God loves so much to try to deceive and to destroy. But for a thousand years, he's bound and he's kept from his influence. Now, a thousand years. This could be a literal thousand years, or it could indicate what some have called God's time. Maybe you've read in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Dearly beloved, do not be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is as a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is as one day. So it could be referring to this ideal state of time, that God designs that would be a contrast to previous times when the enemy, Satan himself, would be deceiving the nation. So this would be a distinct time of God's choosing. Maybe it's a thousand years, literally. Maybe it's that, you know, to God it's two thousand years or to us it's a thousand years, but it's up to God how long this season is. But don't let that distract you. The message that John receives is that for this lengthy season, there will this be this time when the enemy and all of his destruction will be pushed aside and we can experience God's ideal with Jesus reigning. And that gives, just, just imagine, imagine being a persecuted Christian who's raising a family to hear from the Spirit of God 
that this persecution is just a blip. It'll be done like that. But all eternity, for a thousand years, you can experience, if you, if you remain faithful to Jesus, you'll experience all this time without the destruction of the enemy. So it's worth it to stay faithful. It's got, somebody illustrated it once as like a boxing match. Right? So you're in this boxing ring going against somebody that's just pounding you. And he's hitting you, and you're blocking as much as you can. You're dancing around trying to get away from his reach, but he just keeps pounding you. The bell rings. You go back to your corner. I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. And the, the, the trainer is there saying, hey, we can do this. We can do this. No, you're all right. Get back in there. Be faithful. Go back at it. So you go back at it. And you dance around. He pounds you. The bell rings again. You come back to your corner. Your face is bloodied. You've been beaten. And you have this thought, I don't think I can do this. I'm ready to throw in the towel. And the trainer says, no, hey, we just realized that guy's been cheating this whole time. He's breaking the rules. He's, he's got things in his gloves. He's, he's, he's going to be disqualified. We know that, but you got to hang in there. We sent messengers uh, to the judges, and we're sure they're going to declare this as a false bout, but you got to hang in there. you got to make this. you got to hang in there until the bout is over. <sighs> okay, and so you get back in the ring, right? Dancing, jabbing when you can but keeping out of his, his range, always wary, knowing that he's out to destroy you, but knowing that the ultimate judgment has already been revealed, that he's disqualified. He has no ultimate power. You just got to last. It's in some sense what the vision to John is saying to the believers that are in the boxing ring of life, that the enemy is pounding them. He's not... He's not saying, and don't think that, ever think that Christian, the message of Christianity is this thought of, oh, just follow Jesus, and all will be well with you. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. That's not the message of the New Testament. Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. And if I've suffered for it, you can count on suffering for it, too. The, epistle, the apostles wrote in their letters the epistles of that same message. Be faithful. Endure. It's not a candy. It's the American church that's kind of candy-coated Christianity. Life as a believer is going to be hard. I mean, it's hard, number one, to live in a fallen world that seems to get worse and worse. But it's hard when the enemy is angry at the message of the church, of the message of Christ. And there will be opposition. The message of the New Testament continues and consistently says, so be faithful, because the end has been decided. His resurrection has proven you can trust him, and you can trust when he says, I will return for my church, and I will set up my kingdom. And all the powers of darkness will be pushed aside. Satan will be bound, brothers and sisters. We can remain faithful. But let's, let's, let's keep reading. One more, one more point I, I want to make sure you understand. Secondly, in verse 4, we see that the believers will reign with the victorious Christ. Verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones. 
Seated on them were those who, to whom the authority to judge was committed. And we read in the book of 1 Timothy that we are given that, that role of ruling and judging in God's kingdom. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So just look back over those descriptions. So these are describing believers in Jesus. who will be given that authority to judge, who will be given that role of priest of God and of Christ, and they will be given the responsibility of reigning with him for a thousand years. All completely different than what the suffering Christians were experiencing. So what they were experiencing was being the outcasts of society. They were experiencing injustice at the hands of those opposed to God. They were experiencing the lack of power in their life because they were claimed to be atheists. They weren't worshiping Caesar. Or they were accused of being blasphemous because they weren't following maybe the laws of Moses. They were following Jesus, and so all those things were ripped away from them. So the message and the vision comes to them to say, actually, you know what the story is going to be? You know what the outcome will be? Christ will defeat the enemy that stands against them, and you'll be with him. You'll be reigning. You'll, you'll have justice, and you'll have full access to God as priests. That's our destiny, folks. That's where we're headed. And it's not establishing this idea of we're better than anyone else because the reality is this message is for all people. This message is for no matter what social class you're in, no matter what nation you're from or language you speak, no matter what religious background you have, this is completely inclusive of all people. Simply trusting Jesus. Jesus is the Savior for all people, all tribes and tongues and nations. And where you fall in this eternal destiny is simply based on what you do with Jesus. It says those will be, that will be raised, that have, that have died, when Jesus returns and the kingdom is established, he'll, he'll raise them from the dead. That'll be the first resurrection. And the power of the second death has nothing over them, right? There's no power over them. They're, in other words, they're not going to die again. 
They only die once. If you're following Jesus, you only die once. There's the second resurrection, and there's the second death. Those that are raised after the first wave that are raised, there will be this season where the rest who don't believe in Jesus are raised to face judgment, and that will be the second death. That's where all all people are going to die. So we're all going to die the first death. The second death is not simply separation from your spirit, from your body. It's separation from your spirit, with your spirit from God. That for all eternity, he'll be separated from God's presence. And as we'll see in chapters that are going on, it's the only place where there is no God's presence is that eternal lake of fire. It's not what God designed for humanity. He designed the glory of the eternal kingdom. But if we reject him and stubbornly refuse him, he's not going to force us to live in eternity with him. So, so two things. I guess an application of this, there's a, there's a million applications, but two I'll make today. One have you responded to his invitation? I mean, if you're watching this online, wow, how did that happen? God must want you in his kingdom. If you're here today, the way God worked out all the details in your life for you to hear again God's invitation to you to join with him for all of eternity, to experience life as he originally designed it, have you responded to that invitation? So that's one. Second, if you have, and you're experiencing some of the grief of this world, whether it's purely because you're a follower of Jesus, or you're just experiencing the brokenness of this place, and sometimes you wonder if it's worth it, can I just encourage you with this vision that God gave to John? Yeah, it's worth it. Hang in there. Yep, sometimes you're going to feel bloodied and bruised. You're going to feel pulverized by the brokenness of this world. But it lasts such a short time, such a short time, compared to all of eternity in the kingdom that God designed for us to live. So hang in there. And that's why we gather together often, to say to one another, hey, dude, I know it's, I know it's rough, but hang in there, because it's going to be good. One day it's going to be good. Those people that we've lost in our lives, that we're going to join with them again. We'll all be raised, and together we'll experience the kingdom of God together. So these light, temporary things that hurt us so deeply right now can't even be compared to the weight of glory that will be ours when we see him one day. Don't you want him to come now? Wouldn't it be great if he just, let's just start it now. Yeah, there's a great part of me that would love that. There's a small part of me that says, wait, wait. Because there's some people that still aren't convinced. Hang in there. Hang on. Let us, let us put forth just a little more effort into maybe one more word to them. Maybe one more invitation will be all that they need to say, oh, I get it now. So Lord, come when you're ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us, in your grace and your kindness, a little glimpse into what that one day will be. And I know, Lord, there's many times that it feels 
so mysterious and um, sometimes strange to even talk about these kinds of things, but your word so faithfully does, we can't be silent about it. So Lord, we, we want this to be, to be our focus. As we live courageously in our world, as we follow you, as we, as we choose your way instead of the world's way, Lord, we, we're encouraged by this. We know it will be worth it. As we invite people to consider you, Lord, and consider your claims, I pray that you would open their eyes. And Lord, in, in this place, I pray that for those that are doing battle with you, that are fighting against you, Lord, I pray your, their hearts would open to you and they'd respond to your grace and your offer of mercy. Lord, I know you want to spend eternity with them. You're not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. So we ask that that would happen in their hearts today. But come, Lord Jesus. Come when the time is right. Come when you de determine that this is the time to make all things new. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.